For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Nuggets Nation, you guys have been the best fans in the NBA for eight years. We appreciate that. Last year was amazing. We got one ring. Who wants another? Let's go get it. Love you. That, of course, is Michael Malone for the Denver Nuggets, the head coach speaking to the crowd prior to their game. And, uh, well, one game down, 81 to go. Pretty good start. The Denver Nuggets uh, take on the Lakers, and uh, it goes well. Uh, when, we, when you talk about the way that this this game kind of panned out, that the Nuggets shot out to an early lead, uh, they led 34-20 to 20 after the first quarter. And uh, even though the Lakers kept reeling the Nuggets in, at times, when the bench was there, the Nuggets continued to claw back. The second the starters came back in, it went from being close games to blowouts, double-digit leads. It was amazing. The gap between the Lakers starting five and the Nuggets starting five, really remarkable. In fact, if anything, it looks like that gap has increased from the last time the Nuggets were seen beating the Lakers, which was sweeping them out of the playoffs. My name is Sean Drotar. Sandy Clough is off today. Be joined uh, in the 5 o'clock hour by Nate Lundy of Milo Sports. He'll pop in and sit down with us. We'll talk a little bit about uh, the Avalanche as well as the Broncos and keep an eye on these Denver Nuggets after they get the rings and raise the banner to the ceiling. Ryan Blackburn, the head Nuggets writer and host of the Pick Ash and Roll podcast, will join us uh, in just a little bit as well. All 10 starters in the game in double figures. That part's kind of intriguing. And we'll talk, uh, we'll dig into this bench a little bit as well. want to remind you, it's your show, 303-831-1340. If you want to call a text, we can talk about uh, some of those situations as well, because the, the bench is interesting to me. The starting five, the gap between the Nuggets starting five, and virtually the entire league, last year from a statistical standpoint, was monumental. They're by far last year the best five-man unit in the league. Nothing seems to have changed. If anything, they appear to be more comfortable and more confident. Nikola Jokic with yet another triple-double. He is now only one short of Jason Kidd and, yes, LeBron James for fourth all-time. 
It almost seemed like it was effortless. Again, Nikola Jokic, 29 points, 13 boards, 11 assists. He also had a steal and a block. That's 11 assists to two turnovers, by the way, and only two fouls, 12 for 22 shooting, three for five from three, only got to the free throw line four times. In fact, the Nuggets only took 12 free throw attempts. That will change over the course of games, but the Lakers simply didn't appear to want to play physical basketball, and the Nuggets did. That's something that we saw, again, carry over. When Nikola Jokic is playing one-on-one against Anthony Davis, who has a stellar record in his career as a defender, Davis looks like he has he wants no part of it. Jokic has him on skates. He, he, he can do whatever he wants. He can just back him down. And, and Davis wants looks like he wants out of it. And we saw this, by the way, at the end of the playoff series last year, the sweep of the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. Anthony Davis is a very, very talented player. But a lot of his purported defense comes from shot blocking and playing the passing lane. He uses that length to get into the passing lanes and deflect a lot of passes and create turnovers. The Nuggets seem to, they've understood that, and they actually sort of force Davis to guard Jokic one-on-one, and that's to Jokic's advantage. When they throw help at him, because certainly Davis looks like he wants it, now you're playing into Jokic's hands. He'll find the open guy, and he did. Jokic with 29 points, Jamal Murray, 21 points on 8 for 13 shooting. He was also three for five from three-point, six assists as well. Contavious Caldwell-Pope with another 20, very quietly, eight for 12. Wildly efficient night for KCP. Not a lot else going on in the stat column, except for the three steals. Solid. Michael Porter Jr. uh, has 12 points, the lowest of the starters, but 12 rebounds, only one off the team lead. After the game, Michael Malone actually credited Michael Porter Jr., saying that he's a complete player. Porter Jr., more than probably anybody else on that starting unit, sacrificed his game to make the Nuggets better. It looks already as if he's continuing to do that. Now, he did take nine threes and only hit two of them. At the same time, uh, already you've had people around the country going, see, it looks like a, Michael Porter Jr.'s three shot is, is broken. He wasn't good in the finals, and here we are going two for nine. Look, Michael Porter Jr., it's not an apples-to-apples comparison. Michael Porter Jr.'s form on jump shooting is as close to technically perfect as you can get. It's like Ken Griffey Jr.'s swing, okay? It will fall. It will get there. And the fact is, as long as Porter focuses on when the shot isn't falling, of doing other things, like going getting a dozen rebounds and a pair of steals, so much the better. This happened multiple times in the playoffs. Jokic was the best guy in plus-minus on the team. Plus 15. Not a shock. The second best guy was Porter. And there were more than a few times during the Nuggets championship run in the postseason where that was the regular case, where Porter Jr. was the second best guy in that. So he really has matured as a player and understands how to impact the game when the shot isn't falling. Aaron Gordon, 7 for 11. 15 points. 5 assists. 7 boards. Uh, Not the triple-double guy, but when you're getting those kind of numbers, like Gordon has kind of found his zone in Denver. Drafted fifth overall, the expectation was he was going to be a franchise-type player. And he's just miscast as that. It didn't work that way. That's just not really uh, who Aaron Gordon is. Gordon got to Denver. 
started to understand that he's playing with a, a unicorn in Jokic that will find you when you're open. So just cut, use your athleticism. Gordon's one of the, the few guys in the NBA that really does enjoy playing defense, takes pride in it. And he's just kind of a Swiss Army knife. He's there to get some points, some assists, some boards, a couple blocks here and there, a steal. He fills in the gaps. And for the Nuggets, that's exactly what they need. And Gordon looks even more comfortable there. And the Nuggets look more comfortable. Gordon with that speech right there. That wasn't a whole sequence of speeches. Michael Malone spoke. And Aaron Gordon spoke. Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray didn't want to do it. That's not how this team is comprised. They're not big talkers. They don't really want that role. Aaron Gordon seems comfortable with sort of being the spokesman, and the Nuggets seem to be more than happy with letting him do it. Michael Malone, for a head coach, and I'm not suggesting head coaching in the NBA is easy. It's not. And I think Michael Malone has matured and evolved as a head coach to become a very good one, and a very good one for this team in particular. But what a gift, if you're a coach, to one, have the best player on planet Earth in Nikola Jokic. Two, to have that best player on planet Earth be sort of an unguardable basketball wizard from a position in which we have literally never seen anyone play quite like this. The only comparison when you look at the passing game directly is Chamberlain. And Nikola Jokic has nearly 30 more triple-doubles in his career than Wilt Chamberlain. So there's an asset already. You have a guy that, Sandy's talked about this. It's great to have guys that, that like to win. It's also great to have some guys that hate to lose. Jamal Murray hates to lose. So you have the, the guys, the firebrand there, and that has really worked to become a better passer. What we're seeing already, and I think what we'll see some more, we'll talk about it with Ryan Blackburn, who really does a great job breaking down the Nuggets rotations, is Jamal Murray kind of leads that second unit. And while Jokic is your primary ball handler when the starters are in, when that unit, the second unit is in, when they overlap a little bit, it's Murray. And we all know what playoff Jamal can do. Porter Jr. has kind of found his spot. He can now do more than just catch and shoot. Is he going to be the guy that's closing games anymore? I don't know, but he probably has to be. Because at the end of games last year, Bruce Brown was coming in and finishing and Porter Jr. was on the bench. I don't know if Christian Brown, as much as I like him, is really ready to take that role. I think the offense for Brown is still evolving. Porter Jr. may need to be closing games in a way that he wasn't last year. It's one of the changes. Gordon is what he is, and Caldwell Pope is, is a reliable guy that does not need the ball to do what he does. And that's valuable as well. This team is assembled, especially as a starter, just beautifully. Now, the bench will be part of the discussion. The minutes went primarily to Reggie Jackson, 24 minutes off the bench. He had eight points, three boards. Christian Brown had 19 minutes off the bench, five points, three boards, and a couple of assists. Also got a block in there. They were both positive. Jackson was plus 11, and Brown was plus 5. Peyton Watson got 11 minutes. He was plus 1. After that, got interesting. Zeke Naji did have 12 minutes. We've talked about the necessity for a little bit of size. Interestingly, maybe to a certain extent, 
you did have uh, rookies make this roster. Jalen Pickett, perhaps the guy out of the three main rookies considered to be the guy that would see the court maybe the last out of Julian Strother and Hunter Tyson. Well, Pickett was the only one that did. Only one minute. But he got on the floor. Strother didn't. This will evolve over the course of the year, of course, but the way the bench assembles itself might be the difference of whether the Nuggets can repeat or can't repeat. And in the early going, the Nuggets will have to start looking at some of these things and look at Reggie Jackson and see if he's still got enough in the tank, if they believe he does, three for eight shooting. One of the challenges, I think, with Jackson is he is kind of a ball dominant, and in my opinion, I think he takes more shots than he probably should at this point. He's not really in playing a little bit like he's Kevin Johnson back in the day for the Suns, and I'm not really sure that's where Reggie Jackson is in his career right now. Now, we'll, we'll find out. That bench is going to be a big part of it, and we'll have an opportunity to discuss it as well with the guy that does the best work on the rotations in the state, that is, my life sports, Ryan Blackburn. He will join us, the host of the Pickaxe and Roll podcast and the lead writer for the Nuggets right at mylifesports.com to break down uh, a monumental, historic, and highly enjoyable game and evening in Denver Nuggets history. Uh, we'll have him on next on Molly Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. As well. Nice night filling every category. Richards laying tight. Oh, oh, body. Look at Brown. In there fighting, getting tangled up. Jokic with a three. His second. Timeout. Lakers. The call from our friends at TNT, by the way, the uh, that chant at the end, later on uh, camera and on a mic, Jamal Murray, who is over there getting ready to uh, actually check in at one point, it's just looking around. You can see a mouth. Wow. Uh, the idea that maybe a um, little, uh, even, even he's a little surprised by how much of a life this has taken on. Joining us to talk about it, of course, uh, such tremendous Day for the Denver Nuggets is Miley Sports' Ryan Blackburn, our lead Nuggets writer, the host of the Pickaxe and Roll podcast. Uh, thank you for joining us, Ryan. I know yesterday was really busy. And even before we get into the the, the nuts and bolts, can you just describe for the, the folks who weren't there the feeling in that building starting at about, you know, probably about around 4 o'clock when people started to pile in all the way through the, the ring ceremony and the banner-raising ceremony, you know, how that emotion built and, and how that kind of release for a Nuggets team that, yes, the NBA always likes to say uh, a certain number of years since they joined the NBA. Uh, the Nuggets started in 1968 as an ABA team. It was even longer than that. So if you uh, could talk us through a little bit of how it felt to be there. Yeah. So first of all, thanks for having me, Sean. Uh, it was a, I mean, it was quite a day. <laughs> like get there at about 3.15 with my guy Swipa and we walk into the building and you can already feel the energy. This definitely felt like, uh, definitely first day of school vibes, definitely a a reprisal of last year and, and how everybody was buzzing at the end of game five, because this was the, the first time that some folks had been in the building since that point. So 
it had been a long time building and everybody had had hoped and dreamed of, of a day like today or yesterday where you get a you get a banner you get some rings you get uh you get the ovations from the crowd and the energy was buzzing like you said it was it started really buzzing at four everybody in their seats at 4 45 and then everything started at about five o'clock place was rocking and and i know from talking to guys from hearing what everybody had to say, Michael Malone, Jamal Murray, Nicole Jokic, folks in the locker room. Everybody was pleasantly surprised about what happened. It was very, very cool to see. And the emotions were were worn on their sleeves last night. And it was very, very cool. The, the, the Lakers come in, obviously, they'd been talking a lot about how much this got under their skin all offseason. Uh, they added uh, to, the, to the team some talent there, certainly. They had a Torian Prince who started for them and, and for the most part, I think, played rather well. But the, the revamp bench, uh, Christian Wood, Cam Reddish, uh, Gabe Vincent is probably also sick of seeing the Nuggets by now after coming back from the, the Miami Heat that ended up losing in the finals. Their bench was better, and, and it seemed that the Lakers bench against the Nuggets bench could claw back some of their losses. But even when the starting five got out, and we're talking about you know LeBron James and Anthony Davis, the Nuggets starting five just tore through them like wet tissue paper. Every time the Nuggets starting five came on, uh, they absolutely looked like they made it seem like the Lakers weren't there. It, it was almost remarkable. I said before you came on, I think the gap between the Lakers starting five and the Nuggets starting five has actually widened over the course of the season. So the hilarious thing about that, uh, sorry, I was muted, uh, was that Denver starters were only plus one mm-hmm. last night. They, they were plus one on the day. And I, I'm shocked when I saw that because they, they certainly had more room for improvement. There were times where they, they kind of uh, faltered at various points, and it was interesting to see uh, how they responded every time the Lakers went on a run. Nikola Jokic last night said he felt like they were in control for the entire game. And when you hear that from the best player, when you hear that facing the Los Angeles Lakers and LeBron James and Anthony Davis and teams like that, like it is a it is a very large statement, in my opinion. And, and that is a, like, I mean, the, the starters were killer. There was a run at the, the middle of the fourth quarter, basically. The Lakers had cut, it, the, cut the Nuggets lead down to seven. Denver goes uh, Murray three, KCP pull up two, Aaron Gordon dunk, MPJ corner three, timeout L.A. And that basically saved the game for Denver. And there was no question at that point who the better team was. Yeah. And, and uh, as, as you put it uh, yesterday, you can follow on social at uh, NBA Blackburn. Uh, I think you wrote the Nuggets starting five remains supremely dope, I think was the term you used. And it very much seems like that, obviously, that they really have settled into something. And, and I guess well, the guy I want to look at is Michael Porter Jr., who a little bit of controversy here when the, the statements in the ringer from GM Calvin Booth correctly and rightly irked uh, Michael Porter Jr., as they should have to the extent where Booth had to basically publicly walk it back and uh, uh, basically say that that wasn't meant for public consumption. Uh, to his credit, he didn't say that he didn't say it. But all Porter does is go out there and know the three-point shot isn't falling at the moment, but goes out there and gets 12 boards. The evolution in Porter Jr.'s game I think still is one of the most underrated facets of this Nuggets run from last year and their opportunity to make another one. I am not saying he's going to be an all-star. 
I'm not saying he's one of the elite players in the NBA, but I'm saying he has evolved from a guy that was a catch-and-shoot player, and if the shot isn't falling, he can't help you, to a guy who has learned how to impact the game in other ways when the shot isn't falling. And that's generally where you start looking like an established, consistent, borderline star. I firmly agree. And, and there was a line that Michael Malone dropped in the post game. He basically said, I'm so proud of Michael Porter Jr. Citing the rebounding, citing the defense, but also saying we don't, we don't find specialists around here. We don't find players that are one dimensional. We don't allow players to be one dimensional. And it's one of the reasons why the Nuggets are so dangerous on both ends of the floor. Porter picks up two steals. And, and there, was a, there was a play that I distinctly remember where he's defending a ball screen against Austin Reeves. And Austin Reeves had a great series against the Nuggets last year, even though uh, Denver ultimately swept them. And he's a guy that just looked like he wasn't, like he didn't belong, Austin Reeves. Like he just looked like he didn't belong out there on the floor tonight. And one of the reasons is because Michael Porter's in his grill for much of the evening and, and isn't giving him any space to really shine, to flourish at all. And I thought it was very, very interesting to see how Porter could affect the game, even when he goes two of nine from three. We know he's an elite shooter. I know that the bad taste in the mouth from the finals where he didn't shoot that well, it's probably still lingering from folks after seeing him go two of nine. But you're right. Like he is an all around contributor now. And this is the evolution that everybody wanted to see. It's one of the reasons why Denver starters are so dangerous. Everybody can do everything. The next step, of course, is trying to figure out how to, to get the bench into a position to be as effective as it was last year. And, and the early returns, I think, were sort of mixed. Uh, we saw more minutes from Zeke Naji than I expected. I thought uh, Reggie Jackson was fine. I think this is obviously going to be a work in progress as the season goes along. But your thoughts on the bench and the way that maybe the, the rotations were staggered, I think you do a better job of that than just about anybody. You can go follow him at, at, on social, as I said, at NBA Blackburn. He has those posted. And uh, it's extremely insightful. But just game one, what did you think about the bench? Because obviously the focus is going to be how the Nuggets replace Bruce Brown. Yeah, so Denver basically appro- approached the bench lineup in a variation that they did last year. Basically, uh, they, they had a nine-man rotation. Reggie Jackson reprised the Bruce Brown role, where he played about 24 minutes. He came in for Jamal Murray at the six-minute mark of the first quarter and the third quarter, and then Jamal sat, and then came back in with the second unit, along with Christian Brown, Zeke Naji, and Peyton Watson. And so Denver's running a nine-man rotation, They're running Jamal as the second point guard alongside Reggie. And those guys are going to try to piece it together while the other three, Brown, Najee, and Watson, are going to be your defensive aces, your defensive guys that can switch everything, do a bunch of different things, and be athletic out there. It's going to be a work in progress, but the lineup actually wasn't that bad last night. I'm looking at the plus-minus now. Only played seven minutes total, was a plus two. That's pretty good. (laughs) That's fine. And Denver... If they're going to lose the minutes with the starters, they're going to probably lose most games anyway. But if you're winning the minutes with the, the primary bench lineup, that's perfectly fine with me. And if I'm if I'm Michael Malone, I'm pretty happy with how things went last night. The, the idea behind it, too, is, of course, there is room to experiment the early going. But 
Uh, there's also the whole, if it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it mentality, right? And so this this part to me is maybe the most fascinating the part of the equation. Uh, if you would have said that the first of the uh, Nuggets three rookies drafted to make the court would have been Jayla Pickett, I would have been rather surprised. But there he was, you know, one minute in garbage time, as well as a Colin Gillespie making his Nuggets on court debut. It didn't mean all that much. But uh, what did you make of that, of that sort of roster construction? You know, Gillespie is there. Uh, uh, Key is on the roster. You know, Tyson, not there. At the, the, the very end of it and how those rookies come along, how do you expect that will happen for Pickett and Strother and, to an extent, Hunter Tyson as well? Well, I do think that uh, Mike Malone made a special mention of Julian Strother at the end of his postgame last night. He said, hey, I, I still believe in Julian Strother. I told him as much at the end of that game, said he wanted to get him into that game, but it was a little bit just too competitive. I also heard a, an interesting theory that all the guys that played last night were on the team last year. And there's a, like, even it wasn't Justin Holiday, it wasn't Julian Strother, or any of the other rookies, all the guys that played were on the team. And I think that there's, there's some legs to that, that this was just the group that, that won the championship. And maybe Strother's in the rotation in this next game. Maybe Jalen Pickett's a guy that can replace a guy like Reggie Jackson down the line. Mm-hmm. Maybe Hunter Tyson's a guy that, hey, Peyton Watson isn't playing that well. Let's throw out Hunter Tyson and see what happens. But as of now, Michael Malone, he generally likes to go with lineups for about five games or so just to make sure that there's enough of a sample size to see, hey, is this working? Is this not working? And if Denver's going to win and if they win the minutes with this bench unit, I don't see any reason to change. Uh, Peyton Watson, Zeke Nashi, Christian Brown, all of them are so young that the experience is going to get them better and they are going to be tr- helped tremendously by these early experiences and these early minutes, and they'll pay dividends at the end of the year. Now, would that help with Julian Strother and Hunter Tyson and Jalen Pickett? Absolutely. I do expect Julian to play pretty soon here, but it would not surprise me if Michael Malone rolled out the exact same group on Friday night. I thought it was notable that both uh, Aaron Gordon and Contavious Caldwell-Pope, who you know, maybe the, out of the starters, the two newest to the Nuggets, looked as if they were even more comfortable at this point with their teammates, with the way the Nuggets play, than they were at the end of last year. Gordon seems to have completely found his zen uh, with the Nuggets in, in his role. And uh, Caldwell Pope, who still is, is really, I think, is, uh, shouldn't get shorted on the credit for his ability to play without the ball. And both of these guys, really effective, but also doing it completely within the structure. When, when it, you look at Gordon, when you look at Caldwell Pope, at their points in their careers, this seems to be a level of comfort here because the starting five has been so consistent that maybe we haven't even seen the top gear of that five-man unit. Am I being maybe a little bit uh, too over the moon? Probably. I mean, this is a, <laughs> this is a, it's a good moment. Uh, to well, well, that's higher than number one, right? Which is where they were last year <laughs> in virtually every metric for that unit. Yeah, no, they, this, was, this is a fantastic lineup, and I don't want to – uh, belittle that question in any way because it is a good question. I do think that there are ways that they can continue to progress and get better. I- I'm not sure that KCP averaging 20 a game or uh, no. uh, Aaron Gordon averaging 15, 7, and 5 is, is really what's going to, although that's actually not that far off. Like Aaron Gordon, he, he's passing the ball extremely well this year. It just, to me, it, it feels like this group morphs into what it needs to be from night to night. And sometimes that means KCP is going to get more shots. Sometimes that means Aaron Gordon's going to get more passing opportunities. 
it might next game mean that Aaron Gordon's putting up 25 and KCP takes two total shots. Like there's a very strong possibility that games like that happen within the flow. And yet the, the lineup is still plus 10 plus 15 plus 20 in a game or whatever. So I, I would probably not read into it too much in terms of like season openers can be weird. And there are definitely circumstances that led to what happened. Uh, KCP, by the way, was one of the guys that, that talked a little bit of mess on on the the, the preseason uh, Lakers Nuggets rivalry, and then he backs it up immediately. Aaron Gordon, uh, the game before, uh, day before the game, uh, we were just chatting while he was shooting around, and he said, uh, "The bright lights don't scare me at all. Bright lights don't make me nervous at all." And those guys show up in a big moment as veterans on the team. So. It just wouldn't surprise me if it fluctuates throughout the season and then they morph into what they need to be throughout the year. We're talking to Ryan Blackburn, NBA Blackburn, on Twitter about the Nuggets' big win over the Lakers to start their season and their title defense. I thought some of the things with Lakers were fascinating. I mean, um, obviously, you know, you, you weren't watching it on television. You were there. But uh, after the game, Charles Barkley on the TNT broadcast pointed out that Anthony Davis did not score in the second half and basically uh, said, you can't be a star. You're not a star. If you can't score in a half, you're not a star. Especially if you're not one of the if you're one of the top two guys on a team that's supposed to be a contender. I I think that increasingly, it's almost as if every single time Davis and Jokic play, Davis shrinks and shrinks and shrinks, as if he knows that Jokic has got his number. And I thought when uh, LeBron James just sort of left the court in a huff after uh, crowning himself prior to the game, to my mind, I thought essentially. That was all but, uh, if I'm reading LeBron's body language, the understanding that I don't think my team can beat this team four out of seven times. It felt like a concession, right? Mm-hmm. It felt like there was it there did. was a concession between those two stars about, hey, you may, you may have had conversations. You may have had a belief that you could come back and change things in the regular season. It certainly wasn't happening on opening night, and I don't think that this Lakers team is in the Nuggets category uh, until they make any – other prospective moves. Now there are some moves that they can make. There are some trades that they might make at the trade deadline this upcoming year that will shape their team in a, in a completely different way. But what I will say is that there are also some expectations that Denver could make some moves of their own, that Denver's team is going to get even better as, as they continue to build more chemistry. And I'm, I'm just, I'm looking at the top two. I think that Jamal Murray was the second best player on the court last night. And I think that Jokic was the first. And if the Lakers don't have either the first or second best guy on the team, on the, on the floor, that's going to be a strong issue for them because for, for so long, they have relied on LeBron James and Anthony Davis and guys like that to be the best players on the floor when they're making as much money as they do. And now there's been a lot of talk about sharing the burden, getting guys like Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell and Rui Hachimura and Tari and Prince and, players like that and making sure that those guys are looped in and playing well and sharing the load scoring wise, especially because those guys can't do it anymore. The Nuggets guys can, and we we saw it in the conference finals last year and the Lakers did absolutely nothing to slow down those two. Yeah. Anthony Davis six for 17 last night. And as we mentioned, no points in the second half, rather remarkable. Uh, It's one night, it's a couple of games, but I also thought looking a little bit ahead towards the Western Conference, it looked at that game with the Warriors and the Suns. Uh, The Warriors, quite frankly, looked bad. Uh, They didn't look like a particularly good team, and they uh, didn't have everybody either. 
But the Suns, with their strategy, is basically you know loaded up on three guys and a bunch of players that they could fill around them. One of those three guys, Bradley Beal, was not able to play last night. And while the Suns won by four points, uh, much like you said Nikola Jokic talked about, it never felt as if the Suns were actually in that much of a danger, even when Golden State put up a 40-point third quarter. Uh, when you look at the teams that could challenge the Nuggets, if if for the moment we take the Lakers out of the equation because it's currently comprised, I don't think they beat the Nuggets four out of seven, and I think even LeBron James knows it. If LeBron James knows it, everybody ought to know it. Who are the teams you're looking out for? And is one of them, curiously, obviously John, John Moran is suspended, the team that they will play next, and that would be the Memphis Grizzlies. Yeah, first with the Grizzlies, without Steven Adams this year. That was a major really, loss, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. what a devastating loss for them. Uh, Adams out for the season. Horrible, horrible situation. And I, I just, I, I feel for their team and I feel for their fans because they, they had so much momentum uh, going over these last couple of years and it just felt like it all came spiraling down in Denver of all places. So I, uh, I don't think that they have enough, especially without Brandon Clark, without Steven Adams. John Morant will come back, and he'll probably play great. But they also do have weaknesses, and then weaknesses that the Nuggets can certainly exploit, like the fact that Nikola Jokic will probably foul out Jaron Jackson in a basketball game in a playoff series pretty consistently. Um, I think that there are some other teams that can that can challenge Denver. I think that the Suns, as you mentioned, are one of them. They actually have two top 10 players while the Lakers kind of fake have two top 10 players. Uh, I think that Devin Booker is tremendous. I think he's very, very good. And he looks like he's in he's picking up right where he left off. I know he didn't finish the Nuggets series well last year, but it seemed like he ran out of gas. The hope is that if a guy like Bradley Beal can get healthy and take on some of that burden, then maybe he doesn't run out of gas in the playoffs after having to run 70 pick and rolls a game. So there are reasons to believe in a team like the Suns, and they have a, a tremendous offense when everything's clicking. In the East, it's the Celtics and the Bucks. Yeah, those two teams are going to be a the, the two gap to watch out for. Else. Yeah, like Drew Holiday going from the Bucks to the Celtics is a big deal because he is a guy that can credibly guard Jamal Murray, as can Derek White. So if if you have two options there as well as a couple of big wings that can attack Denver and a spaced out floor on the offensive end. It's going to be tough for Denver going up against Boston. And then, I mean, the Bucks have Damian Lillard and Giannis Antetokounmpo on the same team. That might be the best duo in the NBA. I don't think it is, but it is, cre- it is credible if somebody says that. So I think it's going to be very fascinating to see how those two teams match up. I'll be looking forward to watching all of those matchups, but I think it is the Suns, the Bucks, and the Celtics. Keep an eye, by the way, we talk about the Suns and their top players. Uh, Yusuf Nurkic, 14 points, 14 boards, looking, uh, I mean, fit. Nurkic has lost a lot of weight, looks great. Uh, That might be an X factor. Nurkic is one of the the few guys that uh, is willing to go at Jokic in a physical manner and and has had some success, at least in disrupting uh, what Jokic can do. So it it really is going to be a fascinating season, but it could not have gotten off to a better start. Uh, the Nuggets really sort of rout the Lakers, who had spent the uh, the entire offseason publicly plotting their revenge in literally this game. Uh, and for the Nuggets to be able to, to put all the distractions away from the rings, from the banner, from the excitement, from the, all the, the national TV and the attention and the interviews and all those that come with it, and go ahead and play this kind of game, I think if you're a Nuggets fan, you need to be very, very bullish 
about it. And that means you need to give Ryan Blackburn a follow, NBA Blackburn on social media. And of course, you can check out the Pick and Roll, Pick Axe and Roll, pardon me, podcast everywhere in the new Alley podcast as well. You get those wherever you get podcasts and check out everything that Ryan puts together over at milehighsports.com. And uh, yeah, get into those rotations. I'm, done, I'm telling you, everyone. I use them on every single one of these shows. So it's, it's at the very least my opportunity to have you on to say, hey, thanks. Uh, you're part of my research every single day. Thanks. I, I appreciate it. Thank <laughs> you uh, tremendously. And here is to a wonderful season for the Nuggets for the NBA. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to covering both, uh, both the Nuggets and the general NBA on my two shows. So everybody, it would be awesome if you give both shows a follow. Yeah, so to go ahead and do that, the uh, Alley Podcast and, of course, the Pickaxe and Roll Podcast. And if you can forget any of those, that's easy. Just follow Ryan. We'll point you to him. NBA Blackburn. Thanks so much for the time, my friend. Thanks, Sean. Appreciate you. All right, thanks, Ryan Blackburn, joining us the uh, while you were watching the Nuggets, the Colorado Avalanche. We're busy, you know, just doing what they do, setting NHL history. The Avalanche did that last night. We'll talk about the now uh, 6-0 but still unbeaten Colorado Avalanche next on My Life Sports. Music, maybe it's a habit. I gotta use it. Even if it's jazz or the quiet storm, I hook a beat up, convert it into hip hop form. Write a rhyme and graffiti in every show you see me in. Deep concentration, cause I'm no comedian. Jokers are wild if you wanna be tame. I treat you like a child, then you're gonna be named. Another Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. The Colorado Avalanche last night, and obviously somewhat in the shadow of the Denver Nuggets, and justifiably so, set an NHL record last night. Their 15th consecutive win on the road. Obviously, that's over a couple seasons, but the previous record by the Buffalo Sabres was as well. They get the win when they beat the Islanders seven to four uh, last night. The the Abs were a little bit out of sorts early, but it just seemed like the overall talent they could continue sort of reeling them in little by little. That they, they go ahead and get that victory uh, to move to six and zero. Oh, also noting that uh, Alexander Gurgiev moves to six and zero, oh, which now is the best start for a season for a Colorado goaltender uh, ever. We'll see what happens if they continue that. They will take on the Penguins. On Thursday, the Avs are out shooting their opponents by nine shots a game. The differential there is immense, and it has directly led to a win for them. Their win over a surprisingly game San Jose, it took them 50 shots to score their first goal. They got to overtime, and they ended up winning that game. The Avalanche, with this new forward lines, of which Jared Bednar keeps sort of tweaking here and there, puts a lot of numbers up in the early going. And whether they mix and match to find the right guys, uh, whether it continues to happen in games, they still continue to get it. Ryan Johansson with two goals on the night. Uh, Miko Rantanen with a goal uh, and three three assists. Four-point night for Rantanen. Uh, Valeria Chushkin with a pair of assists. Uh, Ross Colton and Nathan McKinnon with a goal. Tatar, again, with another assist. Bowen Byram with a goal. Kale McCarr with three points on a three-point night, and Devon Taves with one of those as well. This team 
has the ability to score from everywhere, right now at least. Knock on whatever wood you have nearby or simulated wood grain or I don't know. Injuries are the things that could potentially derail this team at this point. The way they have constructed their lines with the flexibility to move guys all over the place. Jared Bednar has had so many opportunities already to mix up his top line. Yes, generally, you're going to keep Ranton and McKinnon together. At one point, he split them up. Guess what? The Avs caught fire with that move, ended up winning that game as well. And it's because the additions they had. In Johansson, you have a second-line center. He's not really moving. But you already had guys that had been on different lines in Lekkinen and Nachushkin. The new guys that make up the third line, Colton, Wood, and Tatar, that line looks really good. It gelled very quickly. But you can move them around a little bit if you need to as well. This has been a really, really good start for the S. Logan O'Connor, who had a three-game goal streak of all shorties, only had eight minutes and 46 minutes on the ice last night. Obviously, they were looking for more offense, and so that fourth line didn't get that much time. Allison did because he's on the penalty kill. But this team can come at you in waves, and that's the important part. Nathan McKinnon had eight shots last night. He had double digits in shots a couple of nights ago. The Avs, who at times have had a tendency to be a little bit too fine, almost as if they know their skating skill, their passing skill, and their shooting skill is so good, they look for the perfect shot. They're looking for those perfect one-timers, the tic-tac-toe plays that, that are highlights. And they're certainly good enough to get them. But instead of going out and searching for those, they've just gone ahead, gone a little old school. Let's just keep throwing rubber at the net. Look for the rebounds. Get the dirty goals, the greasy goals. They have the guys for that now, too. Nachushkin's been good at that. Rantanen has been good at that. Colton and Wood are good at that. So you have the ability to score in the ugly games, too. And that's one of the things to be excited about this Avs team. The Avs could always, if, it was, if it's a skating match and it's going to be a finesse game, the Avs had a great chance of winning it. But the teams that could kind of slow it down, kind of make things difficult and physical and make the Avs have to grind for it, the Avs don't actually have that weakness anymore. Not in their forward lines. You have guys who can play physical, close-to-the-net hockey. And now you have a lot of them. Wood and Colton, Johansson. Johansson's been using that big frame to park in front of the net. It's a really, really good start for the Avs. It's worth noting that Jonathan Duran only 10 minutes on the ice. We will find out how that continues to go, but it does appear in the early going as if Bednar, who started him on that top line, sort of seems to be maybe moving away from giving Duran major minutes. Now, can that turn around? Of course it can turn around. If he starts playing quite a bit more, there's no question he'll have more opportunities. Bednar's outstanding at that. But for now, that hasn't been what they've done. They've gone ahead with that sort of the McKinnon, the Chushkin, Lekkinen, the Johansson, Ranton, and even Tatar lines, and then I drew on a third line with Wood and Colt. Seems to be giving the Avs a couple more lines that have significant scoring punch. Teams can't stack that top defense 
against Ranton and McKinnon. Now, the second line, no matter what, was supposed to be good enough that you can't do that anymore, and so far, so good. But that's part of the equation for this Avalanche team. It is flexible. For the most part, it is proven. Only Jonathan Duran is the, out of the 12 forwards is the one that I think you should have any question about, and that's even with Frederick Olsson being relatively new, but immediately stepped in as that fourth-line center and on the penalty kill, and he's looked really good. Even the defensive pairings with that second pairing of Bowen Byram and Sam Girard concerns me a little bit for size. In a game in which 11 goals were scored, the Avs coughed up four of them, Gerard was plus one and Byron was plus two, thanks to his goal. So right now, Bednar is pushing all the right buttons. Georgiev has played uh, well the last two games, uh, seemingly a little bit wobbly. I don't think it's a lot of fatigue. We'll talk about that with Nate Lundy of Miley Sports in just a little bit. I mean, you, you know, he's six games in, it's been all offseason, haven't played back-to-back nights. I don't think it's fatigue for Georgiev. But We've talked about this on the program. One of the things the Avs will have to do is find some time to get backup goaltenders in and get Georgiev that break so he doesn't look tired. But the last couple of games, the Avs have won. But he's had save percentages of 875 last night, 852 the, the game before in Carolina last Saturday. It reminds me a little bit of the Georgiev we saw in the playoffs. Guy that was good. Not great. The first four games of this season, Georgiev was great. So the Az will have to take a look at the backup situation. Ivan Prospetov is the first up. I suspect that he will perhaps make his avalanche debut tomorrow night when they take on the Penguins. Penguins another high-volume shot team. But they're two and four. The Avs are off to a tremendous start. They look good. There doesn't seem to be a lot of weaknesses. Injury seems to be the major concern. But you can't really control that. Jared Bednar said last night it was a shooter's night on both sides. Kind of a little bit of a strange game, but I like the way we capitalized late. We're fortunate to be 6-0. and The guys realize that, and we're still trying to improve. That is true. They are. But they get that win, breaking the Buffalo Sabres record. Buffalo's record started at the tail end of the 2005-2006 season and then went into the 06-07 season. The Avs 6-0 start is tied for the best in Colorado Avalanche history. Only the 85-86 Quebec Nordiques were better, and it was just one win more. They're in good shape. The Avs coughed up leads. They had to grind to get the league. They coughed it back up, but they still just looked like they were the better team all night long. Ryan Johansson said, we weren't perfect, but our confidence is growing as a group. We'll execute better and we'll keep working on sharpening that up. Johansson has been absolutely everything that the Avs hoped he would be when they got him. Can he sustain it? We don't know. But so far, so good. It is really tough to nitpick for the Colorado Avalanche right now. They look tremendous. Even when they're not playing their best, they look very, very hard to beat, and that is pretty exciting. We'll talk more about that with Nate Lundy in just a bit. But I wanted to wanted to point out a moment as we watch a World Series now between the Texas Rangers and the Arizona Diamondbacks, two teams that two years ago both lost 100 games 
And by the way, they didn't win that many this year either. 84, to be exact. That's not outlandish. 16 years ago today, the Colorado Rockies, who won 90 games in that fateful 2007 season, lost in game two of the World Series to the Boston Red Sox. Well, they lost all of the games in the World Series that year to the Boston Red Sox. They were swept. But this game, with Kurt Schilling starting against Ubaldo Jimenez, 16 years ago today, the Colorado Rockies generated the only lead that they would have in the entire World Series. That was it. They scored at the top of the first in Boston. They went on to lose it 2-1. to one. They had two blowout games in that series, if you remember. Number one and number three were blowouts, 13-1 to one in game one, 10-5 to five in game three, and two one-run games. Lost 2-1 to one on this date. And then game four, they lost 4-3 to three here in Denver. But today, 16 years ago, the Rockies were in the World Series, and they had a lead. It's the only one they ever had in all four games. But, hey, it's as close as they ever got. Congratulations to the team in the World Series. I'm curious about what people think about that, too. I, I like it. There are folks that are grousing about it and thinking, well, that's not the two best teams. Well, isn't it? Isn't that what a playoffs, playoffs are for? You earn your spot in the playoffs, and then, then you start it over. You have to go win series. The road team, take a look at those, by the way. The road team, in both the ALCS and the NLCS, won every game. All of them. The underdog Rangers, down 3-2 to two to the Astros, go to Houston and win game six and game seven. The underdog Diamondbacks, down 3-2 to two to the Phillies, go to Philadelphia and win game six and game seven. I haven't heard if Mad Dog Russo's retiring yet. Said he was going to. I'm going to guess he's not. Because sometimes big-name sports talk guys just say stuff and they don't really expect to get called on it. But, you know, we'll see. But congratulations to those teams. And it shows, I think, for Rockies fans, why your frustration is completely fair. Because the Rockies don't have to be amazing. You don't have to be incredible. You have to find a way to get into the dance. Those teams did. They're still going. World Series is going to be a lot of fun. We'll have an opportunity to break down the next hour with our friend Nate Lundy, the CEO of My Life Sports, and of course, uh, host of the Fate Fly podcast with our friend Brad Evans. And you bet tonight going to sit in and we'll talk a little bit of avalanche because uh, Nate is a hockey guy. A little bit of that frozen frenzy last night, too. Uh, if you're still watching television after the uh, Nuggets, you caught a whole bunch of hockey, not just the Avs. Talk a little bit about that. We'll go back to the Nuggets and touch on the Denver Broncos who have, uh, well, you know who's coming into town. Chiefs are looking for 17 straight. We'll do that next on Miley Sports. Baby, never for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.